Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. The Ascension, one of these mystical stories that we're trying to... He just lifted up... Well, let's slow down a little bit, because we are here at the end of the story, a story that we began telling all the way, I think this year, it was the last week of November is when we started telling this story, and this is what the lectionary does. The lectionary, the set of readings, the beginning at the first Sunday of Advent, we tell the story of Jesus for about six months, and then after that, we start telling what it is that we are to do with the rest of the, with the story of Jesus for the next six months. But as we come to the end of the story, we are invited to consider, well, what does all this mean? What does the story of Jesus actually mean? To put it another way, having told this story, what is it that you believe about Jesus? That is the question for us this morning. What, after telling it all, what do you believe? Well, for me, you could do a whole lot worse in thinking about what we are called to believe as believers than to ask the simple question, well, where is Jesus' body? What should we believe? We'll start with, where is Jesus' actual body? And so consider, walk through this with me for a second. So we began at Christmas. Where is Jesus' body? Jesus' body is in a manger. And we confess that God has become human, that the body of God, the body of Christ, is now made of dirt and spirit just like your body and mine. Jesus has come to be with us. At his baptism, where does the body of Jesus go? Well, it enters the waters of the Jordan. And in doing so, Jesus identifies with us as sinners He doesn't just say, I'm a better human than you. He says, I will walk alongside this broken humanity. And in doing so, he blesses the waters. Again, where is Jesus' body? Teaches us what we are to believe. Consider as we hear the story of Jesus as he is healing and teaching. Jesus is showing us a new way of of being in the world. What does it mean to be human? Jesus is showing us these things. On Good Friday, Jesus' body is bent in prayer in Gethsemane. And then it's crowned with thorns, and, it is, and, he, and his body is hung on a cross. And here, Jesus receives all of the violence, all of the brokenness, all of the ugliness of humanity, receives it on himself, and what does the body of Jesus return? Not eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. In receiving all the violence of the world, Jesus offers back pardon and forgiveness. On Easter, Jesus' body is no longer in the tomb. Bearing the scars of his suffering, Jesus' body is still scarred, but nevertheless, the body of Jesus lives and eats and forgives and restores. And in all of these things, this is the story of Jesus, that God comes to us, welcomes us, heals us, redeems us to a new way beyond sin and death. And by the way, if you're like, this kind of sounds familiar, what I've just outlined is basically the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed says very little about what Jesus said. It tells us everything about what Jesus' body did. So my question for you on this day, as we come to the end, is where is Jesus' body now? Where is it? Uh, uh, Mark, in our column, people have been looking for the body of Jesus on earth for 2,000 years. We never dug up that tomb. It's because I don't believe it's here. 
But we still kind of wonder, well, Jesus, where are you? And pop theology, sort of a theology that I believe goes sideways, its best answer seems to be, well, Jesus kind of lifted off for outer space, and he's now hanging out with God in like this 2,000-plus-year vacation, and we're just kind of waiting for him to come back, like whenever he's done in like whatever the, whatever the space universe equivalent of Cancun is, like when he's done there, he'll come back and take us all to be with him. But if we think this, if that's our best answer to where the body of Jesus is, then this day is ascension. Where it'll lead us is this idea that Jesus is absent from us. That theology leads to an idea of absence, that Jesus is away from us, and we're just kind of holding on for dear life. But that is not the message of today. The message of today is that Jesus' body has not disappeared. Jesus' body has ascended And that is what we celebrate today. And in fact, it is so important that if you look at the Apostles' Creed, it dedicates more, as at least as much, I was going to count the words, I didn't get there, but it dedicates at least as much time to the ascension of Jesus and second coming as it does his crucifixion. This is critical for what it means to be a Christian. Why? The ascension is the coronation of Jesus. In the ascension, Jesus' resurrected body goes up into heaven. And as the author of Ephesians writes, God seated him at his right hand. Sorry, I'm left-handed, so I always do this. Right hand. (laughs) God seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but in the age to come. And God has put all things under Jesus' feet. You're like, what does it mean to be at the right hand of God, uh, the right hand of anything? To sit at the right hand of, again, left-handed, right hand. To sit at the right hand is to sit in the seat of power. To sit in the seat of ultimate authority in whatever kingdom you're talking about. And so Jesus is not no longer just a king, but Jesus in the ascension finally becomes what we proclaimed him all the way back at Christmas. King of kings and Lord of lords. He has power over those who have power. He is Lord over those who are lords. He is king over anything and anyone who would claim to be a king. Yes, and yes, there are lords in power everywhere, and Jesus trumps them all. All things are now under Jesus' feet. And this reign of Jesus places him far above anything that would make claims on your life or on my life or on our world. Jesus is over it all. And it continues on. Paul writes that he is now head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I guess a little mystical language, but it is a little bit. But I want to draw your attention to these words, that Christ fills all in all. I've said this a time or two here, but it's one of those things a preacher said I've never forgotten. I remember as a kid, my preacher once said, he says, all means all, and that's all all can mean. So when we say that Jesus fills all things, what we mean is that Jesus fills all things. And if Jesus is filling all things, if all things are now under his feet, 
then in the ascension, what we, what we proclaim is that Christ is now available, accessible, and present to everyone, everywhere, at any and all times. He fills all space. He fills all time. He fills all in all. And in all of this, the scriptures and the church that has given us these scriptures bear witness that the ascension cracks open the presence of God, that he is all-powerful, and that he is accessible to us all. Thanks be to God. And so often I hear people ask in the midst of our real lives, they say, well, I'm going through a thing. Some of you have asked me this question directly. I'm going through a thing. Somebody I love is going through a thing. I don't know what to do. Where is Christ in all this? And the ascension teaches us that the answer is, where is Christ? Well, he has ascended to the right hand of God, where he exists to pray for us, and he has filled all things, all in all, which means he is present to you right where you're at, which means the answer to where is Christ in the thing that you are going through right now, where is he? Well, he's right in the middle of it. He's right in the middle of it. He's always been there. Because Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Are we at the end of the age yet? As long as you draw breath, the answer is no. Jesus says, I am with you always. And so whatever you are going through, whenever, whatever is pressing down on you, Christ is right there. And they say, preacher, sometimes I don't see it. That doesn't make sense to me. I don't feel God's presence. Well, that's not a failure of God. That's our problem, so to speak. The problem is not that God has not kept his promise. The promise is that we are human. And our ability to discern God's presence is so very limited, broken as we are by sin and death and our concerns. The issue is us. We're human. So we don't always discern the things of God. But that doesn't make any less true that God is present. At all times and in all places, God is with you. And Jesus says, I am with you, not I am watching you. Boy, if I could correct one thing in pop psychology, fixing the ascension would be one thing. The second thing might be this idea that we often believe that, God, that Jesus is just kind of sitting up there watching us, which is not what it says at all. It says that he is with us. And you understand the difference? Watching, and I offer my apologies to my educators who are here. I don't mean to make this analogy sound bad. But watching sounds like a principle. Watching the hallway. Making sure nobody does anything they're not supposed to do. Which I never did. And if I did, don't tell anybody. Jesus is not watching us. He is with us. He is walking the hallways of this life with us. And the minutia of your life is made present to Jesus. And since Jesus is at the right hand of God, the minutia, the details of your life are made present to the creator because Jesus sits at the right hand of God. That is a theology that gives life. And so, having been raised to the right hand of God, sitting in the seat of power, far above all other powers, being filled with Christ, now we are becoming the church, which is now the body of Christ. And all of this theology, the good question that theology is always asked is, well, what are we supposed to do? What do we do? Okay, Jesus is present. Hopefully that brings comfort. Hopefully that gives you some sense of God's connection. But what are we to do, church? Are we really just supposed to sit around, sing some songs, pray, and wait for Jesus to return in some way? 
Let's put it this way. If Jesus, comes to, if Jesus' body comes down and takes our humanity and lifts that humanity to heaven, the church's responsibility in response is to bring heaven to earth. That is what Jesus is up to. Jesus is empowering his church to bring heaven to earth. Now that we know the full story, that we know God's love and have God's power and we understand God's desire to redeem because Jesus has done that for us, we are to be about that work of working alongside of Jesus to bring heaven to earth. There is no work for a church other than that. And I will die on this hill. There is absolutely nothing else for the church to do but to seek to bring heaven to earth. What does that look like? What does it look like when it looks like all hell is broken loose on, church, on, on the earth sometimes? Well, I heard a great illustration, but I'm going to caveat that by saying it's a tiny little bit problematic. I'm going to use the word colony, and our history of colonization isn't, it doesn't show up in a really bright light right now, but go with me for a second. It's not even our colonization. We'll blame it on, we'll blame it on the royals. It's on British colonization. Of course, you know your history that England spread out, sought to be an empire, so they colonized all over the world, including us. And one of the places that they did that most profoundly was in India. And so there were British citizens who went to India to try and seek their fortune to make a living in this new land that they had conquered. And so they get to India, and they look around, and they're like, this don't look like England. I mean, you can imagine, like, you don't have to be, you know, a geography scholar. You don't have to be a world traveler to go. India, not a whole lot like England. But they weren't, but just because they were living in India didn't make them citizens of India. They were still citizens of England. It's like, well, what are we going to do? We got to bring some home here, right? And you know what one of the most prevalent things the English love to do every day of their life? They have tea. They have tea. And so all these English colonizers came over and they just decided, you know what, in the middle of our workday, we're having tea, I don't care where we find ourselves. And if you go to India, India today, free as it is now of English rule, you know what the people of India still do every single day? They still have their tea every day. There was this little practice that found its way into another land and it stuck and it changed the culture. To put it a certain kind of way, we are to be a colony of heaven on earth. We are not, friends, citizens of this world. We are in the world, but not of it. And indeed, as we look around, like to say that we're not citizens of this world doesn't make this world a bad place. Certainly, there are many beautiful and wonderful things about this world that we are to wrap our arms around and celebrate and love and preserve and grow. Yes, the scriptures say that God made it all good, including you and me. But the systems of this world, the way the world operates, the way that we think about our shared life, those are nothing to cling to. Think about it. 
The polarity that we see in our times, us versus them, and I don't care if that is in our political process or it's in war nation against nation. Our polarity is not the kingdom of heaven. Our polarity is anything but the kingdom of heaven, and it is not to be embraced. It is to be rejected, and we are, we are called to work towards a different way. Racism. One group against another. One group disempowering another. That is certainly the way the world works, but that is not what God intends for this world. And that, so we are not to embrace that. We are to reject it and we are to repent and we are to ask that something else would come in its place, that Jesus' reality of embracing all people would come to bear. We could do this all the way. The presence of nuclear weapons that can destroy all of us multiple, multiple times over. That is not of God. War is not of God. The economic disparity we see where this many people have this much of the wealth so that there are still poor in our country and all over the world. None of that is the way of God. None of these are the kingdom of God. They are to be rejected because we're about bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. In other words, the church is to be, a, is to be heaven's tea time. A little piece of the kingdom hidden away in the corners of the earth. So how do we do that? It starts not with our work. And if the church has, needs to learn one lesson in this era, it is that we constantly, we're like, all right, Jesus tells us to do a thing, and so we try to go do a thing. We are always doing. And we will get to doing, but our work begins in prayer. Our most fundamental prayer is, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In other words, our most fundamental cry to God is to look to heaven, to the kingdom that Jesus is head of, and to say, how would heaven handle this? And to see that happen on the earth. How would heaven handle this? You see, friends, it is only in prayer, and what I would call it's only in contemplative prayer, do we become aware and awake to the heaven that is already in us. We are citizens of the kingdom. Heaven is already in us. We are called to go live that. And it is only in contemplative prayer do we shed the other influences in our lives to ask the question, how would heaven handle this? It's only in quiet and in peace do we say, I feel other voices calling me to something different, but the kingdom of heaven says, here is who I am to be. Prayer helps us sort that out. And out of all that prayer, out of that fixing our minds on the things that are above, then we get to work. How do we do that work? Well, if our theology is where is Jesus' body, then our work must ask the question, well, where are our bodies? Where do we put our bodies? If we are citizens of heaven, then wherever we are is where heaven is working. Wherever you are is where heaven is working. So what are your bodies doing? Are our bodies, sometimes, sometimes literally, sometimes not so literally, are our bodies kneeling in prayer and standing in worship? This is the work of the kingdom of heaven. Are our bodies close to other bodies, building relationships, showing love, getting to know one another, not just across the computer screen, but in real, actual, physical reality? Are our bodies speaking words of comfort and peace 
Sometimes speaking words of justice and saying things are not as they should be. But are we speaking the words of God? Are our bodies living into rhythms of work and rest so that we reject the destructive call of the kingdoms of this world to believe that our worth is only in our production? Are our bodies holding the hands of others, laughing with others, crying with others? This is how we put our bodies in in the path and in the way and in the kingdom of Jesus so that heaven might break forth where we are. Christ's body is at the right hand of God to raise us to God, so our bodies are to be put at the service of others to raise them to the knowledge and the inbreaking of God. And that, friends, is how the powers and principalities of this world are defeated and Christ's reign is revealed. In love, in tangible, embodied, redemptive love, we participate with Christ in revealing Christ's salvation for the whole world, which has already been accomplished. Thy kingdom come, and the rest of the powers and principalities of this world will all pass away. They'll gripe about it while they do it. They'll, they'll twist, and they'll groan, and they'll scream, but they already know their defeat is at hand. And in its place, we will discover the world that Jesus is redeeming, the beautiful world, the eternal world that Christ came to bring right now, right here. And so in this way, today is a day for celebration. Jesus is Lord, friends, and there is no, no, nothing more central than that. Jesus Christ is Lord. And as Jesus said to his apostles, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Think differently. And my prayer for you As we live out this ascension into Pentecost next week and in the weeks that are to come, as we figure out what it looks to live out this kingdom, my prayer for you is the same as Paul's prayer was for his hearers. Today we read out of the early part of Ephesians. I'd like to read you the prayer that happens in the backside of Ephesians, a prayer that is informed by the ascension of Jesus and his place in our lives. Paul writes, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. He puts his body into it. From whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how high and wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we think or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.